Hello, 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 and you're listening to Rational Radio here on WHIP, Philly's number one college radio station. Uh, my name's Amelia, and joining me in the booth today are Valerie and Jenny. Hi. Hi, we're here to bless your Monday. <laughs> How are your guys' week's been starting off? Oh, man. You just, <laughs> just got to get to the end. Four yeah, weeks. we have four weeks get left. It's four insane weeks. Oh, my gosh. Like, think about it. Yeah. I feel I, like we've been here forever. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like it flew. I feel like the like days Like it's go, already April. Yeah, like the days oh. go slow, but the weeks go fast. Happy, happy April Fool's Day. Yeah, happy, happy April, April Fool's Day. Day. Forgot about that. Oh my god. Yeah, there's all these pranks going around. I heard that um, like someone started a prank that the pipes burst in the edge, so they're <gasps> going to make everyone like who lives in the edge now live in Morgan and like double up rooms. What? Yeah, I know. That was crazy. But, That's hilarious. Uh, in any event, you guys know the deal. We're not one for jokes because we're all news all the time. Ahaha, uh-huh, see what I did there? <laughs> no, I'm basically John Mulaney now. Um, oh, yes. So, yeah, <laughs> we got we're a John gonna... Mulaney. <laughs> so I think Valerie has our first story for today. We're going to yeah. head over to Asia. Yeah, so we're going to head over to China and we're going to talk about, you know, a very tragic substance, fentanyl. Um, so this... These sources, this story is coming at you from the New York Times, and then I used a little supplementary sources from U.S. Day Today and the Philadelphia Inquirer. China is bans fentanyl and fulfills his promise, their promise to Trump. So today, China announced that it will ban all forms of fentanyl, well, quote, fentanyl-related substances beginning on May 1st. Although China had already been treating most forms of fentanyl as controlled substances, American officials and experts said that banning all forms of fentanyl can can close loopholes which manufacturers have used in the past to make variations of fentanyl. So even though they were already monitoring fentanyl, people would still find ways to send fentanyl to the United States. Fentanyl and fentanyl variants are heavily exported from China. And just so some background, I think everybody knows, but just in case you don't, fentanyl is an opioid drug which has contributed to the crisis in America. It's a very deadly drug. It's like synthetic, very dangerous. According to US Today in 2017, 80% of pure fentanyl in the United States that authorities seized was from China. Philadelphia greatly suffers from the opioid epidemic with 1,217 overdoses in 2017, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer, and fentanyl was present in 84% of those overdose cases. This has been largely a source of tension with trades between China and the United States, this issue with fentanyl. In August of 2018, Trump tweeted that the poisonous synthetic heroin fentanyl was pouring into the U.S postal system from China. And in December, President Xi Jinping of China promised Trump that China would treat all forms of fentanyl as controlled substances at the Group of 20 meeting in Buenos Aires. So now China is fulfilling its promise. Although they have kept their promise to Trump, China officials at the press conference announcing the news denied that they are responsible for any fentanyl-related deaths in the United States. They claimed that the United States didn't have any evidence to prove this. 
And Lai Yujing, the vice commissioner of the National Narcotics Control Commission, said that the main cause of abuse of fentanyl in the United States is due to the lack of an enforcement and problems with addiction. According to the New York Times article, this is kind of like what the writer said, because there is already weak regulation on China's chemical business, it is impossible that the ban may it is possible that the ban may not be very effective. It's possible, sorry, not impossible. Americans have complained about China's lack of commitment to their promises and but China's compromise to ban fentanyl, fentanyl seemed like an announcement that they're ready to compromise with the United States to close a good trade deal. And negotiators right now, they were just working on a trade agreement in Beijing last week, and now they're going to continue to work on an agreement in Washington on Thursday and Friday. Ro Robert Lighthizer, one of Trump's top trade negotiators claims that the United States may try to get China's commitment to banning fentanyl in writing to make it super official. So that was a lot of information. Um, Kent, so I just, something that really spoke to me about this whole issue is that we're here in Philadelphia and close to Kensington where fentanyl largely circulates. And, you know, that's, a part of Philadelphia where the opioid epidemic is hitting really hard. Um, do you guys think that a ban on fentanyl coming into the United States from China will improve the state of the opioid crisis in Philadelphia? I think it can, you know, it can always do something to help, but there's other places that fentanyl can come from. So I think, yeah, it can largely um, cancel it out from China, but there's other ways that it's imported into the country. So will I think it go away altogether? No. But do I think it'll help the situation? Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, that like, um, we're not addressing the, like demand for fentanyl. We're just addressing the supply for it. So because we're not doing anything to mitigate demand as well as supply, then there's always going to be people who want it. And so because there's people that want it, they're going to find ways to get it especially mm -hmm. since it's such a highly addictive substance that because it's like it's not something that you can just find a substitute for you need fentanyl if you crave fentanyl so mm -hmm. like i think that although reducing the supply is by nature going to reduce it and reduce the problem in some way i don't think we're really addressing the core issue of also like simultaneously decreasing demand mm -hmm. i agree with that i think that as long as there's someone out there wanting it they'll find a way to get it mm -hmm. um so i think i think it needs to address the larger issue of you know drug rehabilitation yeah. and like making people see the consequences of drug addiction and overdoses so i think limiting the import of fentanyl can do a little bit to help but i think there needs to be more like addressing on the other side of it yeah, like I think that this is a great step, but I don't mm -hmm. think that this should be the entire package of what a solution looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and what about do you think that China will keep their promise on banning the related fent fentanyl substances? Or do you think that, um, you know, this won't be the end of fentanyl substances from China? I don't know. And I mean, I think that 
like the government in China obviously can't ban all fentanyl. Like there are going to be black markets that crop up. They're going to find ways to produce it, especially since like opioids have been such a big industry in China for centuries at this point. Like I'm thinking back like all the way to high school AP world history with the mm-hmm. opium wars and everything with Britain. Mm-hmm. And so like that's not an industry that's just going to go away because the government now is saying again that it wants to address it. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that we're going to see it entirely stopped or anything like that anytime soon. I agree. I think it'll I think some of it will of course slip through the cracks because there's always holes yeah. in, you know, in the system. But I think China can do everything, you know, they can say on paper, "Oh, we're doing everything they can, we can," but mm-hmm. of course it's still going to get through. You know, it's just like it's just like in the 70s with the war on drugs in the United States. Like it still got through anyway, and that's why it's still here. Mhm. Yeah. And they have been talking, China and the U.S. have been having trade talks for, like, I think since around February. Do you think that making a compromise like this will get China any closer to a good trade deal with the United States? Um, I mean, I think if they're delivering President Trump what he wants, then <laughs> it's definitely going to win his favor. Mm-hmm. And that'll put them in a much better position. So... I think it'll take a lot more than just the opioid crisis yeah. to really fix things because it's a very fractured relationship mm-hmm. that has been fractured for a, a long time now. Yeah. And I think this, President Trump just um, in, inflames the, the already tender situation. Um, but I, who knows? I, hopefully this hopefully it works. You know, I would love to see, um, you know, less fentanyl on the streets because, you know, we're in North Philadelphia. We see a lot of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And like Valley mentioned Kensington and Camden also, like there's there's a lot of areas right close to Temple that yeah. you know, have really big drug problems. Mm-hmm. So I think having it this close to home makes people more aware of the situation and hopefully more empathetic to people that struggle with addiction. Yeah, and I think that I mean, if eighty percent of fentanyl is blocked in coming from the United States. As you said before, Amelia, I think that black markets will supply and they will find ways. But I think that even if there's a law, that will at least stop it a little bit. And I think that it might make um, getting fentanyl a little bit harder Yeah, through the mail. Or maybe the U.S. might like enforce heavier mail regulations to check that out and I think that we might not see an immediate effect Mm -hmm. but I think that it would help um you know maybe people who have addiction from things to like prevent them from having access to these substances but I also agree that it won't help with their other issues and the fact that the heart of this issue is addiction and mental health. And I think too, like on the flip side of what you were saying, like because we're limiting the ability to actually transport fentanyl from China to the U.S., we're going to see more potent form, like forms cropping up because of it. Because we're not going to be able to send over, like they're not going to be able to, able to send over as big of quantities. Mm-hmm. So because of that, with the reduced quantity, you're going to need to like, I guess, improve the quality of the effects that you get so that's going to mean that we're going to have like these more harsh strands of it that are going to be cropping up which are going to be more dangerous mm-hmm. and more so, deadly yeah i agree i think a lot of like i think if the supply of fentanyl goes down 
um, people will try and start making like DIY fentanyl, which, you know, is, I can't even fathom how bad that would be <laughs> because people just try and, you know, put in a little bit of this, put in a little bit of that and it can kill anybody. Yeah. Fentanyl mm-hmm. is an incredibly deadly drug and it just kills so many people. It, yeah, it would be, I think that the demand for fentanyl would go up and then they would have there would they would find other means to ship it in and i'm curious too like what steps is china gonna take to ban it like do we have an outline yet of what specifically that's gonna look like because this is a very general agenda that they've given forth Mm -hmm. i think the problem with like the problem with such a wide agenda is that they can say oh like we fixed it and when in reality nothing can actually be fixed you know what I mean? Yeah, like I wanna, I want some sort of measurement to mm-hmm. be able to track the progress of this, so that way it doesn't just slip through the cracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that hopefully, well, hopefully in their negotiation negotiations on Thursday and Friday, they'll touch on these issues and they'll, as um, the negotiator, Light Thizer said, they'll get it in. They'll try to get it in writing, so that way. I also wonder, like, how the timeline would be. Like, do they have 10 years, 5 years? Like, when when are they trying to to mark, you know? They're trying to have it by May 1st. Like, the ban would be effective. And I guess, too, but also, like, what's the timeline going to look like of when we should be expecting results? Mm -hmm. That's what I... From implementation. Yeah. Because I guess, like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Because some of it is already probably in transit as we speak. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I wonder how long it would take for it to not only stop at the source of its, you know, producers, but also in the shipping and packaging and because receiving. I think, like I think too, addiction can be a very quick paced problem because mm-hmm. like once you overdose, like that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know. I'd be very curious to hear what these next steps and like to have a more specific outline of what these next steps are going to look like. And I hope that we get something like that as the negotiations continue later this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. But I do wish that they would focus on trying to adjust the demand side of things too, like the demand from consumers, so that way we could hopefully see a more balanced solution than just focusing on producers because that's not always effective. Because mm-hmm. consumers will find other producers. Mm-hmm. And if when you have such an intense demand, that's not going to go away because the government says no. Yeah, they'll find a way around the yeah. system. So, but on that note, sorry to leave it a little negative, guys, but we do have to head to our first commercial break. So stick around because we're going to head to the U.S., one of our favorite topics always. We're going to head to the 2020 presidential debate. We've got some news on Joe Biden, and it's a little juicy. It's time to spill some tea. So, yeah, stick around, guys. See you soon. And we are back. You're listening to Rational Radio here on WHIP, Philly's number one college radio station. Uh, before the break, we were talking about some China, uh, some of China's new um, new approach to dealing with fentanyl and the opioid crisis and how that might affect the U.S. But now we're going to head over to talking about the 2020 presidential election for a little bit because um, Joe Biden is currently... He's potentially considering announcing for the end of the month a campaign, but some allegations have surfaced recently um, claiming that he sexually abused, sexually, um, like, 
touched women in an inappropriate way. I'm sorry, that was a very awkward way to put it. Um, but this article is coming to you from the New York Times. Joe Biden scrambles to stem crisis after Lucy Flores' allegation. So Lucy Flores is a former Nevada legislator, and she accused former Vice President uh, Joe Biden of inappropriately kissing and touching her on Friday, causing him to scramble as he speculated to announce his 2020 campaign for president later this month. Um, Flores made the allegation on Friday in an article published by The Cut, which is a New York magazine, and she argued that Biden's behavior should disqualify him from being a presidential candidate. She was not compensated for the article that she wrote, and in it, she said that during her campaign for lieutenant governor of Nevada in 2014, Biden came up behind her before a rally, put his hands on her shoulders, and planted, quote, a big, slow, a big, slow kiss on the back of her head. Um, She also said that she felt that now was the time to come forward about it because she felt Biden's behavior toward women was being ignored in light of his potential presidential run. Biden issued a sweeping statement acknowledging that he had shown, quote, expressions of affection to people during his years on the campaign trail, but said, quote, not once, never did I believe I acted inappropriately. Um, This was the second damage control statement to come from his team since Flores made her allegation on Friday, and it was released minutes before she appeared on CNN. Um, Reactions toward the allegations have been mixed, with Biden's aides rushing rushing to defend him while his colleagues haven't been as supportive. In particular, Biden's potential Democratic rivals in the 2020 presidential election have argued that Flores' claims need to be taken seriously. Um, We have some examples of this for you guys. So Bernie Sanders in particular said, quote, I have no reason not to believe Lucy. And when he was asked if Biden should be disqualified, Sanders further said, quote, I think that's a decision for the vice president to make. I'm not sure that one incident alone disqualifies anybody. Um, Amy Klobuchar, who's another Democratic candidate for 2020, said, quote, people raise issues and they have to address them. And that's why he will have to do with uh, do with the voters if he gets into the race, adding that she has, quote, no reason to believe uh, Flores, no reason not to believe Flores. Um, Kellyanne Conway, too, chimed in on this. Um, Everyone knows Kellyanne. Uh, She said, (laughs) quote, I think Joe Biden has a big problem. He calls it affection and handshakes. His party calls it completely inappropriate. Um, Biden has drawn attention in the past for his intimate touching of political allies, their family members, and even supporters he's just met. Um, Gestures that are seen as excessive to the point of creepy by some, but viewed as harmless by his defenders. Um, Biden's ally said he often drew too close to people he sensed were nervous before they went on stage in an effort to relax them, and they suggested that this is what he was doing with Flores. Um... One thing I kind of like noticed about this was that um, one, his advisors have indicated that he still intends to enter the race for 2020. And also, um, these allegations were made just after Biden came under fire for saying that he wished that he could have done something when Anita Hill accused Justice Clarence Thomas of sexual harassment, even though he led the Senate committee that questioned her, um, leading some in his party to em- uh, brace for an extended reckoning about Mr. about Biden and um, gender if he enters the race. So I guess one question that I had about this was like, I wanted to talk about the differences here between Biden and Trump because mm-hmm. I know Trump has a lot of sexual misconduct claims and allegations against him. And the thing is that the media treats them so differently. And so, like, what defines that boundary between affection and inappropriate touching? Because that's Biden's whole argument behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that it's I think that it's 
hard to discern because I because you really don't want to say that anybody feeling inappropriate by you touching them is invalid but at the same time does this is this like this is would you call Joe Biden going up to women putting his hands affectionately on their shoulders getting close to them as sexual misconduct or would you call it as you know maybe like a physical violation maybe I would say this is a physical violation she sounds like she was uncomfortable but you know does is this material that should disqualify him from the campaign and I think that I understand just like as from the perspective as somebody who's a woman and being at work when you are like objectified you know when your coworkers yeah. call you baby or like kiss your hand it makes you feel awkward and mm-hmm. that's happened to me before working um you know I mean just in restaurants so that's very different because I feel like women are already sexualized and objectified working in restaurants so but when you are a politician there's a lot of respect and I cannot imagine that Joe Biden would ever go up to another man and put his hands on him and then give him a big kiss on his head in in an encouraging way I feel like that maybe is not sexually violating but if somebody did that to me I would feel more belittled Mm -hmm. Um, like, oh, you think it's okay to just touch me because like, you're proud of me. Like you're not, you're not my sister or my friend, you know, it's, it's different. And I think that there are just certain social dynamics in which that was not appropriate. I agree. And I think my problem is if he's, if he's heard so many comments in the past of saying, okay, you might be a little too touchy feely or, you know, you're a little too friendly. You might want to dial it back. If if he meant it as harmless as he's saying he meant it, then why hasn't he stopped? Yeah, exactly. That's my that's yeah. my issue. During the break when we were like gearing up for this story, we were talking about how a couple years ago there were all those video compilations that were coming mm-hmm. out of him like weirdly touching children mm-hmm. and like that whole phase, like I think it was like a year or two ago. And so Yeah, it was like twenty seventeen. Yeah, it's like I don't if you keep having these comments made against you and you're not going to do anything to change it, then I think that that kind of does that does cross whatever border between affection and inappropriate touching exists and that it shouldn't just be written off like that. Mm-hmm. I agree. And he's had so many like he's he's made he's had a lot of comments made towards him about this issue. And if he's saying it's as it's as harmless as he is insinuating it to be, mm-hmm. why isn't he fixing his behavior? It's, yeah. it's not that hard. If someone tells you something's, you know, you're doing something wrong, you analyze your behavior and you change it, mm-hmm. especially if he wants to be the president. Yeah. yeah. And I think that this shouldn't, in my personal opinion, this should not be looked at through the lens of sexual assault. But I think that it should be looked at through a critical lens of whether he um, views women and men equally, because yeah. I know that he would not do that as i said before he would not give a quote big slow kiss on the back of the head to a man but he in that moment saw her as some like a woman would be a good recipient of that affection which you know i that just concerns me about how he sees women if he sees them as equal to men and i think that um voters should pay attention to that and discuss that i don't know if he should be disqualified from the 2020 election though 
Yeah, I really agree with what you just said about looking at this from that different critical lens, because I think his aides, especially in defending him, because Biden hasn't um, granted any interviews about this yet. Mm -hmm. He's like only released statements on it um, through his aides. And I think his aides have all adjusted through the lens of looking at it as sexual assault. But that's not why people are upset. People are upset that he wouldn't respect someone's boundaries and that he wouldn't because this isn't how he's treated men in the past or anything like that. The only reason I don't think he should be disqualified from the race is because Donald Trump has had countless accusations against him for Mm -hmm. sexual misconduct, sexual assault, you know, all these types of things. And he wasn't disqualified. He mm-hmm. he won. <laughs> He's yeah. our president. And even when he was in the presidency, he still had accusations coming up. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Ju- um, Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. He had accusations, and he's still on the Supreme Court. So I think, I mean, I I would appreciate that somebody would thoroughly look into these accusations against Biden. But if we didn't discount Trump or Kavanaugh, then I don't think there would be any boundary to discredit or to discount Biden. And the, I hate that this is it the sets, precedent. It sets that we a precedent. Have. It sets I a precedent. I hate that this is yeah, the precedent the, that we it have should now. Not be that it's way. unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Like, I don't it's agree more with than it. Unfortunate. I don't agree with it, but that's 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 the stage that has been set. I, it's all like I just can't even wrap my head around that. You know what I mean? That this is the precedent that we have now for what is okay and what like is the model for the first citizen in this country, mm-hmm. which is one of the biggest duties of the president is to be that exemplar for what it looks like to be an American citizen. And it's a huge honor too. And I remember going to the Women's March um, during the inauguration back in 2017 in January. Um, I was on the subway in New York City and a woman on the subway said to me, she she was a school teacher and she said to me, I can't believe somebody who sexually assaulted like all of these people is getting the highest honor in our country. Yeah. So it mm-hmm. is, we don't want another, like you said, that the precedent is that uh, somebody, you could do sexual assault and then still become the president. Mm-hmm. That, that should not be the precedent that we go by. No, it should definitely be the exception and not the rule. And I think that if we don't address it now, then it's just going to snowball and it's just only going to go downhill. Mm-hmm. And I wish that there were some sort of maybe even an investigation that Joe Biden can undergo, not for sexual assault, because if they look for sexual assault, I don't think that they're going to be successful in finding it, but maybe for some sort of discrimination against women, because I think, as we talked about earlier, I really think that is the bigger underlying thing. And I think that maybe like the way the media is framing it as our world is like dominated by men, um, you know, they don't, they're looking at this as, oh, like, this is unwanted touching, it's sexual assault, when really it's different. Yeah. And also, I'm upset with how the media has addressed this. You know what I mean? Because I think that this is a repeated problem, and it Mm -hmm. slips through the cracks a lot. Yeah. Because we focus so much on Republicans and their, like, sexual misconduct claims and things like that, and I think that it's definitely not balanced, the perspective that we've been given and, like, the watchdog function that's been served here has definitely let, like, the American people down in terms of this issue. I agree. I think Democrats need to be held accountable just as much as Republicans have been in the media. Because the media have, you know, focused incredibly closely on all these different, you know, scandals in the Republican mm-hmm. Party. Which is okay. 
But if these scandals arise in the Democratic Party, there needs to be just as much focus. Yeah, Yeah. and it needs to be less. I know, I feel like now, like, the hashtag MeToo movement seems kind of like, I feel like people, the media frames it as this way to attack politicians. Like, oh, he was accused of sexual assault. He's a horrible person rather than, wow, look at what these other women in the workplace are facing. Like, look at what um, Lucy... Lucy Flores is facing like she is a legislator she's a high likely respected politician and then somebody gave her a kiss before during her campaign like that I think that's belittling and I think that we need to focus more on um, a movement towards making gender equality or equity rather than just like accusing. I mean, I think it's important to hold people accountable for their sexual assault, but the way that people react to the allegations and Mm -hmm. say like, oh, this didn't happen. It's they're making it more about the politician rather than the significance of how women are treated in the political world. And like, I think we're getting so caught up in the like in debating the issues and the details of each isolated incident that we're not actually focusing on moving towards a solution, which is the entire purpose of the movement itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting if Biden is able to move forward with his campaign, how Mm -hmm. that plays out with voters. Because he is if he does announce his it's been said that he'll do it by the end of this month or like early next month. So it's like it's coming up soon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I do as of right now, he says that it's not going to affect him running or at least that's what his aides have said. But I will be curious to see how that plays out in the future and if any backlash will change that as we move forward. Mm -hmm. But on that note, we do need to head to our second commercial break. So stick around because we'll be talking about something else and it'll be pretty interesting. So stay tuned. And we are back before the break. We were talking about Joe Biden and some allegations that have recently been made against him that might affect him running a 2020 presidential campaign. But now we're going to switch gears a little bit and we're going to talk about a Supreme Court decision that came out today. And so this is coming to you from NPR. The Supreme Court closely divides on a cruel and unusual death penalty case. So a closely divided Supreme Court ruled on Monday that a death row inmate with a rare medical condition is not entitled to an alternative method of execution just because the one of the state uh the one that the state uses could cause them uh, several minutes of great pain and suffering so voting five to four the court ruled against missouri death row inmate russell bucklew who had asked the state to use a different method of executing him um bucklew said that because of his medical condition using lethal injection could cause him quote cruel and unusual punishment which is barred by the constitution's eighth amendment Writing for um for the five justice court majority, Justice Neil Gorsuch uh thought um <laughs> noted that Bucklew had been on death row for more than twenty years, and he said that the state and the victims of the crime are entitled to timely enforcement of the death penalty. He said, "quote Those interests have been frustrated in this qu- in this case," and Gorsuch um declared that there was not enough evidence that the method of execution Buckley uh, Bucklew proposed, which was nitrogen, nitrogen gas, would be better. So Bucklew was convicted of murder, kidnapping, and rape, and he was scheduled to be executed in 2014 before his case made it to the Supreme Court. 
um, the courts for liberals dissented, so it was like right along um, I- like ideal lines. Um, Justice Stephen Brewer uh, noted, Breyer, sorry, noted that the last time that the court ruled on this question in 2015, the justices said that a person facing execution had the burden of showing there was an alternative method of execution that significantly reduced a substantial risk of severe pain. Um, Bucklew has satisfied that burden, he said, adding that three states have authorized nitrogen gas as an alternative method of execution. Instead of just admitting that, Breyer said that the court has now invented new requirements, creating what amounts to a, quote, insurmountable hurdle for prisoners like Bucklew. So that's the situation. Um, A lot to unpack there. But I was just wondering, do you guys think, do you guys agree with the court decision? No, I think if he has a, if he does have a medical condition that you know will cause him incredible pain for around 4 to 5 minutes it's cruel and unusual punishment mm-hmm. in my eyes because mm-hmm. the part of the point of um the death penalty is that it's pretty much instant yeah. you know it shouldn't be painful and if it's painful that falls under cruel and unusual punishment mm-hmm. and the fact that he also did provide an alternative method shows that you know he had his you know he had a thought process in mind that would still make him carry through with the death penalty just an alternative option he was acting on court precedent essentially right right mm-hmm. and his he wasn't just trying to get out of being on death row at all he just came up with an alternative mm-hmm. so i don't understand what where the problem is with that yeah and i agree i think that like he well, I personally think that death is cruel and unusual punishment, though I understand the whole, like, business way about um, the death penalty. I think that it there isn't any issue with using an alternative method because they still are giving him the death penalty. His charges are not changing. His sentence is not changing. Um, and I think that it they should not enforce cruel and unusual punishment because then this will set a precedent of making it maybe like the rules looser and then there could potentially be more cruel and unusual punishment in the future and i think that you know we should be very careful with our prison rules to not allow them to get any worse than they already are and already um punishing and torturous than they already are um since they're pretty bad already. I agree. And I think this argument just brings up the larger argument that has been going on for a long time of mm-hmm. should the death penalty be a thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think this this question will just be rehashed over and over and over again until finally there's like a, you know, a decision. Because mm-hmm. there's all these little totally small arguments sense. under the death penalty, but the death penalty as like a an idea is on shaky ground as it is yeah and it's like it makes me wonder why if there's so much debate about this in this country why are we still implementing it Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and it's like we should wait until we can more firmly ideologically settle this as an issue before we start implementing it i agree and i think there's other problems just besides like ethics of course ethics is the biggest glaring argument but there's also um the cost yeah. It is it is ridiculously expensive. Like I I wrote a paper on this last semester for my econ class and it is ridiculously expensive to pay for someone to 
had the death penalty. And for this man in, in particular, uh, Bucklew, yeah. he was on death row for 20 years, just sitting there waiting. So imagine how much money is wasted in him just waiting to be executed. Mm-hmm. And then the actual cost of the lethal injection is expensive. Mm-hmm. And you have, someone has to administer the lethal injection. So there's all these there's all these arguments that point towards the death penalty should not be a thing, in, in my opinion, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I also think that with the death penalty, this is like a very personal opinion. You have to assume that the justice system is completely fair and has no biases, which we know it does not have because mm-hmm. yeah. it is has it is sexist and very racist. So very innocent people can be on death row for so many years and then, you know, killed. So I think it's unfair to assume that the justice system is always correct. Um, when we know it's not always and I think that you know I understand that they don't want to keep people in prison for life because that is like they're paying to keep somebody in prison for life but at the same time I think that it's more of a punishment to spend your life as a criminal slave than be dead I agree and I think it's it's really it begs the question of who like how the judge and the jury gets to decide who is on death row like who deserves to die Mm -hmm. like whose crime is bad enough to die Mm -hmm. and i don't think anyone really has you know the authority to condemn someone to death yeah because i i think no matter what your crime is it could be as terrible as you know what in Bucklew's case rape or you know murder first degree murder things like that like those are capital offenses but there's also lesser offenses, which is like burglary, drug, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. So who determines what crime is worse and what crimes condemn people to die? Mm-hmm. And even if they do die, what what purpose does that serve? Does it give closure to the family, to the victims? Or is it just saying, okay, it's one less criminal that we have to take care of? That's very true. And I do want to know, too, what the evidence looked like that Bucklew uh, presented that Gorsuch said just wasn't enough Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, uh, giving him the alternative of the nitrogen gas. Like, I want to, I feel like they need to release that information. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. Because I think without it, it just, it points to a bias. Yeah, and I think it invests too much authority because then it's literally the court just making a life or death decision. Literally. Like, like. I think I don't know. It seems like it's giving them too much, like giving one body too much, too much power. power. Yeah, I think if Bucklew accurately presented his side of the argument, then he should have gotten a fair shot. And I think it's interesting also the way that with Justice Brett Kavanaugh now on the on the bench, it really makes the scales tip. You know, because mm-hmm. as we the article presented that it was pretty much along party lines. So I think it's also going to be interesting how other cases in the future on other issues like abortion, immigration, Mm -hmm. all these types of things will play out based on the balance of the court. Yeah, because we're now already seeing all these precedents being overrided. Mm -hmm. So it'll definitely be interesting to see what ends up happening with this case as backlash and opinions continue to develop. But we're going to change gears a little bit. we got another story for you guys. Um, Jenny's going to give you a little rundown on it. So this article is from NBC News, and it is basically um, summarizing the fight against child marriage in the United States. 
So currently, there is no minimum age to get married in quite a bit of states. And in other states, the minimum age is well below 18. In some of these states, it takes all it takes to confirm a marriage is parental permission and the signature of a judge. Since 2016, 14 states have strengthened their laws against child marriage, but only seven states have outright banned child marriage. So California Senator Jerry Hill drafted a bill to make child marriages illegal in California, where the legal age would be 18 to marry. But the bill faced pretty surprising opposition. So the final bill was passed in 2018 after considerable revisions, including a requirement that the judges on these cases would have to follow, which includes requiring the judges to interview all parties in question, gain consent of all parents, and report any suspicious circumstances. And despite the legality of child marriages in the United States, the federal government considers marriage under the age of 18 in foreign countries a human rights abuse. And just because we're, you know, we're a temple in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania is one of the states where there is no age floor to marry. So that's a, quite a bit to unpack. Um, do any of you guys have any, you know, initial thoughts about this article? Yeah, it just seems so ridiculous that only now are, like, proposals being made to change this legislation because it's such a blatant oversight of human rights, like, um, just like human rights abuse and everything like that. And so I think... And that it faced opposition, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was surprising for me is that it was... It's it swept so under the rug that you don't even think about it. Like, mm-hmm. when you go about your day-to-day life, you don't think that there's children in the United States who could be 12, 13 years old getting married to 30-year-old people. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's crazy to think about. And the fact that it gets so little attention is incredibly worrisome. And the fact that the bill um, proposed by Senator Hill faced opposition in general. Yeah, and I think that although these things might not be covered by the news media often, I can't imagine that they don't happen and that, you know, it's not in the... I think it's just not in the government's attention, so they're just... Excuse me. um, They're just not being proactive about it, and now um, California Senator... Jerry Hill is drafting a bill about it, which is good, but it also is really, really overdue. I mean, we're 20 years into the 21st century, so I, and I can't, like, I have no idea why it wasn't drafted sooner. Um, And I think that seven states out of 50 states Mm -hmm. have, only seven states have outright banned child marriage, um, which is, like, just you know, a huge, like, I don't know, I'm very shocked to hear those statistics. I didn't know that before us talking about that here. I thought that more states had banned child marriage. Um, And still, even though 14 states have strengthened their child, their laws against child marriage, that's still, you know, most of the country, child marriage is just so, is just possible with parental permission and a signature from a judge. What my, what my problem is, is the fact that, like, what, Valerie, you presented the question, why now? Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason is because people, people get so horrified when they think of a child that is 12 or 13 or 14 years old getting married to a full-grown adult. 
is just so horrifying to think about that they they don't even they don't even think about it like if they just push it under the rug act like it doesn't happen you know don't see it don't talk about it you know that type of thing but I, I think this really does need to be brought to center stage like this needs to be talked about it it's it's appalling that it's it's legal in and, many states and do we know where the opposition is coming from um yeah it said in the article it it mentioned a bunch of just like lawmakers and like some human rights activists and planned parenthood which was surprising wait planned parenthood was against planned parenthood offered the argument in the article it mentioned that planned parenthood offered the argument of you know if you ban child marriage what about teenage pregnancy oh which i understand that mm-hmm. but they're two very different topics yeah like they don't even are on, they're not even on the same playing field mm-hmm. because there there's so many other reasons why a person under the age of 18 would get pregnant but marriage only happens through consent that's a very good point Mm -hmm. but on that note we do need to get ready to head out for the day so as always thank you so much for listening in guys um if you want to hear any more make sure that you check out our other rational radio shows on wednesday and friday same time same place and also if you want any more news make sure you check out the district you'll hear jenny on tomorrow Mm -hmm. night at seven and you can also tune in on uh, thursday night same time And then also be sure to check out the Weekly News Crackdown. It's a video that we make every week giving you the biggest, like a little synthesis of the biggest headlines. This week we did, we focused mainly on the Mueller report, but we also went into a little bit of some things that are happening with Brexit. And it's pretty cool. We're pretty proud of it. So we hope you guys like it. And yeah, that's all we have for you guys. So hope you guys all have a great week. Thanks for listening.